Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. And welcome to First Nazarene Church. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today as we start this new series, Your Family Matters. For those of you uh, that are here every week, thank you for being here. Thank you for making this place of worship and your church family. And for those of you who may be joining us for the very first time today, thank you for saying yes to an invitation from someone uh, to have the courage to walk into a place where you've never been before. We just want to say a special welcome and that we are glad that you are here today and you've joined us for Food Truck Sunday. Especially if you are new, really beginning not only today but over these next five weeks together, talking about our family and entitled Your Family Matters. You know, I came to our worship planning team in the church, and I said, hey, listen, I think family is one of the most important things in life. Everybody's got a family, everybody's got, let's be honest, a fairly messy one probably, uh, and there's so much in God's word that it has to say about how we should live, and even I would say this, even if you're here today and you're new and you say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm open to exploring my faith, there are such good principles in scripture of how we should interact with our family. We should l- really look at this. So I go to our worship plan team, I say, hey, we should do a series, Your Family Matters, <coughs> And these people all hear, oh, family matters, family matters. Oh, based in Chicago and family matters. So immediately their brain goes, you know what? We should decorate the stage and the set like a 90s sitcom. And, and Pastor Galen, you should come out in the first week with suspenders and some big glasses and talk in a funny voice. And I was like, I'm not so sure how I feel about that whole suspenders, glasses, funny voice thing. But family matters. Yes, yes, I, I get it. I see, I see. Uh, really in the midst of this series, here's what I want, here's my hope and prayer for you and what I want you to hear. I recognize that no family is perfect, but maybe we could learn how to move forward from where we are today in the matters of our family, because family matters and it's incredibly important and it's close to who we are. In fact, think of this this way, a lot of who you are today was shaped by your family the first language you learn to speak, how you view the world maybe, how you interact with other people. Our families are incredibly important. And even as we age and grow into adulthood, we recognize the importance. In fact, um, in a recent study done, it said that nine out of 10, 90% of people, whether they're 18 or 75, 90% of people say that spending quality time with the family is one of the most important things in their life. Regardless of how much they actually practice that, they still believe it was true. And to the effect that they actually say it was three times more important to the average American spending time with family even than how they would live out their faith. We recognize that it is important, yet 70% of moms and 74% of dads say that they don't spend enough time with their kids. 67% of adults say that their children today spend less time with families than they did when they were growing up. And almost 40% of parents say in our house, if we're honest, screen time is more of a priority than family time. 
and only 30 minutes a day on average do we have quality time together as a family during the week. And if you dive deeper in, we recognize how important family is. Children that has a dad that is present and engaged are 66% more likely to excel in education, 80% less likely to spend time in jail, 50% um, less likely to experience depressive symptoms, all from someone being there and engaged in life. We know how important family is. But here's also what I would say. Oftentimes, if I say, oh, great, you're, you're sitting there, Pastor Gannon's going to talk about family for the next five weeks, and my family is broken. My family's got issues. Even when you say some of those statistics, like, honestly, I feel a little ashamed if you were to look at my family life. Today, I want to begin by talking about the ideal versus the real, because I want to share with you, I think we all have some kind of picture of what the ideal family looks like. I mean, just pause for a second. Picture the ideal family. What do they look like? What's their Christmas card look like? Because all the perfect families send out a Christmas card. Woohoo. Um, where do they live? How do they interact with one another? What does the ideal family look like? In our minds, the ideal family is picture perfect. Their children are perfectly mannered, and they have it all together. And then we look at our very real family, and if we can even all get in the same room for a family photo, that would be wonderful. And we're far from having it all together. You know, the ideal family, they have children that just listen and say, yes, mommy, and do it the first time. It's wonderful. And then we look at our real families and we scream at our child for the 12th time and they might do it, maybe, if they feel like it. That's our family. Or the ideal family has grandparents. You know, they come along, and when they watch the kids, they come uh, to the parents of the children, and they say, we're going to watch the, the grandkids. You know, let me just ask you, what, like, structures and programming, and, like, when's nap time, and when are the meals? We just really want to enforce your parenting, the ideal family. In reality, our grandparents are like, um, yeah, I, I heard everything you said. We're not going to do any of that because back in my day, we did it this way. Here, child, here's your 12th lollipop for the day. Those are our grandparents. Maybe the ideal family that has parents that are always patient and understanding and always give wise words. And in all reality, maybe the real, parents feel like they're drowning in expectation and stress, and our patience gets snapped at a moment's notice. That ideal family you pictured, can we just acknowledge from the beginning of a series talking about family, that ideal family doesn't exist. Even the picture of the people, maybe, if you're thinking of a specific family you had in mind, every family has issues. And I think it's important for us just to pause and say, listen, all of us have things that we wish we would be different in our family. So then let's take the very real family that we have. How do we move forward from where we are today? And as we go through this, I do think it is important, though, to set a standard of what is an ideal family for us, for our family personally? What would be the ideal that we are working towards? Because I would say the destination of the ideal helps us live in a direction toward the ideal in the midst of very real life. We should acknowledge our family isn't going to be perfect or picture perfect as we would imagine, but actually having an ideal, how are we intentionally living to become this kind of family will help us actually live along that journey. And this series isn't just for parents, but for everybody. Functionally, I want to challenge us, how do we live in relationships with everyone in our family? Siblings, nieces, nephews. 
How do we be a people that look at even our relationships outside of that? How do we live as single people, as grandparents, as friends with one another? Are we intentional in our relationships? So today, if you're taking notes, the, the message is entitled, With the End in Mind. And I would encourage you to maybe take notes, or I see some of you take photos of the screen, because today I'm going to pose you some kind of bigger life questions that maybe I don't want you to answer just as we're in this room together. But maybe as a family, you would go home and you would talk about these things together and set an intentional route to live differently as a family. Because I believe I've called this with the end in mind because I believe having a clear picture of the end reveals how things should be right now. At the end, if we can see something clearly, it reveals how we should be living right now. And this idea came for me as I was working on this message and thinking about family. You know, as a pastor, I, I find myself in different situations, maybe than most of you find yourself in. And um, I walk the road uh, at the end of life with more families than probably the average person does. And even just a couple weeks ago, I had an um, incredible phone call uh, with a lady who knows that she's coming down to the end of life. And whether or not hospice has been called in or not, when you have the recognition of, I think this is it, it's amazing to me how clear things become. Have you had those conversations, maybe with a grandparent or a friend? And I'm going to be honest with you, as I go and I talk with people and we pray together, the conversation almost always falls into one of two categories. It's almost always about their faith and their family. At the very end of life, never once have I had a conversation with somebody. Oh, let me tell you how much money I made. Let me tell you, if I could take you to my house, let me just show you all of my accomplishments and my trophies, my status, and how others recognized me. Let me show you this thing that I built. No, not a single time. Every time. Pastor, how do I know where I stand with Jesus? Pastor, let me tell you about my family. We're not a perfect bunch, but I have loved these kids. I've loved these grandkids. I think that clarity, as I have those conversations, I wish that all of us had a little dose of that kind of clarity. Because if we did, it would affect how we live now. If you knew life is coming down to an end, wouldn't that change how we talk to one another? Wouldn't that change how we interact with one another? And what if we lived in that way all of the time? Honestly, as we normally go the next step and we go to the funeral and I meet with the family and the friends, they share things about their loved one. And here's what I've noticed. People almost always um, share what has been repeated. What is repeated is remembered. Do you remember what grandma used to always say? Do you remember that grandpa used to always do this? Even if everyone thought he was crazy, he was gonna do this. He repeated it. So for us, with living with the end in mind, I'd ask you the question today. At the end of life, what do you want others to say about you? What is it that you want them to say about you? If you've lived the kind of life you want to live with no regrets, doing what you would want to do, what would you want other people to say about you? And then live that out. What do you want your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids, what do you want your friends to say about you? What's repeated is what remembered, and it should change how we live now. Because as we think about our families and that ideal picture, the bottom line is we cannot control everyone in our family, no matter how much we might try. The only thing we can control is ourselves and how we interact with them. So you can't control if your family is the ideal family, but what you can control 
is your intentionality in relationships. Are you living with intentionality in your relationships within your family? And oftentimes, we live lives non-intentional, and it's not a bad thing, it's just we kind of live life unexamined, and we're just living, and so maybe an example, if you're married, you have kids, and you haven't like set a goal for our marriage, that feels odd, and people doesn't feel like they do that, but now we have these kids, and so the unintentional goal becomes we should raise these kids. And so you do your best. Again, it's a good thing, but not as intentional as it could be. And then maybe you realize once those kids move out, man, we've made that our goal, and now it feels like something is missing. But what if on the front end you could set the goal? In our marriage, we are going to share life together. We're going to make one another better, and we're going to enjoy life together. Part of that's going to be kids, but part of that will live long after. Or honestly, I think we see this the most in, in maybe parenting, the unintentional. So you've got kids, and you've never received any kind of coaching or training on parenting. No one ever does this. It still blows my mind the first time you have a kid, and they're in the hospital, and they hand you this baby, and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And they're like, yeah, you got it. You're a parent. And I'm like, no one taught me how to do this. And then when they close your door when you're driving away from the hospital, like, there's no training guide. The, the baby's just crying back there, and you figure it out. And so because we haven't lived intentionally with parenting, I think a lot of us end up parenting in what I would call um, the opposite experience. So when you think of your family, well, I didn't get to experience these things. We didn't have this. And so with my kids, I'm going to make sure that they do. They're going to have that. They're going to experience these things. And we parent in the opposites of the way we were raised. Again, not bad, but not necessarily as intentional as it could be. Or we parent probably most prevalent in our context with what I call opportunity-based parenting, where our main goal is to give our children every possible opportunity that they could have. So we want our child to flourish, so, and again, it's a good thing, every opportunity. So we involve them in every club, in every sport, in every activity we can possibly put them in. And at some point, probably five years later, we wake up, and we're like, life is chaotic. I feel like we're passing ships in the night. Is this really worth it? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? It's a noble cause. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is there something more that I should be parenting towards? I saw a stat this week, and I would just remind us. You know, there is a 0.0296% chance your child will become a professional athlete. There's a 0.0086% chance your child will become a famous celebrity. However, there's a 100% chance your child will stand in front of Jesus. What are we teaching our children about what we value and how we practice our schedules? Maybe in a more intentional way that I could offer for us. What if we begin to parent with identity and values-based parenting? Really asking the question, who are you? Who are you becoming? Or values, what is it that we value? And not just, I'm going to say we value this, because our schedules actually reveal what we value. And so how are we living? Because at the end of the day, when my children leave my house, I want them to know who they are, how to live, and what's most important. If they knew who they are, they can experience a life full of joy and peace and love. No matter if they get the scholarship or make a ton of money, they'll know who they are. And they'll be secure in what they value. And it won't be based on whether or not they win something. 
And because that fosters healthy life, they may choose a spouse that is healthy and values the same thing that they do. I want them to know who they are and how they should live. Many of you care about this a lot, and we don't have enough time, but I would recommend you pick up our book recommendation of the month, Habits of the Household, which could help you tremendously. Because it's not just saying what you value, but how do you actually put these in your life? And today, when we look at the scriptures from Colossians, there's this beautiful passage. I've read this so many times, but there is such intentionality within it. Paul, a follower of Jesus, is writing to churches. It's just a church saying, this is, how, this is what I want for you. This is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to know. He writes these words. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and the many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by the strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. I love this as he's writing a letter to a church to say, this is what I want for you. This is my intentions. I think Paul is a man who's living with intentionality. And when I look at this, I want you to see, he says, here's what I want you to know. And here's what I want you to be. And he goes on, here's what I want you to have. And then he says, I'm telling you this so that. They're like, I have to explain why. There's a reason behind it. And listen, my heart is with you. I love you. And then he says, if you're doing these things, I rejoice that you are living as you should. You're following Jesus and living in the truth. I began to wonder, in our families, what if we could live with this kind of intentionality? What if we could go to our families and say, here's what I want you to know. Here's what, who I want you to be. By the time you leave my house, here's what I want you to have. And if you do all of that, if you actually were to sit down your child and say, here's what I want you to know, here's who I want you to be, when you leave, here's what I want you to have, you're going to want to feel to explain yourself. Listen, I'm telling you that because here's why this is important to me. And to end the whole thing, listen, my heart is with you, and I love you. What if as a family you can actually define these things? Finish the sentence. If you're a Christian family, maybe answer them in some of the ways that Paul does. I want you to know Christ. I want you to have confidence in your faith in Jesus. I want you to know God's plan, which is Jesus himself coming to save us. Here's what I want you to know, be, and have. And I, here's why I'm telling you, and listen, I love you. My heart is with you. What if we could do this with our kids? And if we do, may we, like Paul, be able to say, and now I rejoice that you are living as you should, that your faith in Christ is strong, or from 3 John 4, 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are following the truth. He has an end goal in mind. Here's what I want for you. And I would remind you of the Christian principle from Proverbs 22, direct your children in the right path. Put the foundation within them. Even if they're teenagers or young adults and it feels like they're starting to go away, can we put the foundation in their life? For when they were older, they will not leave it. Or as we have seen, they will come back to their faith. Today, really, here's what I want you to wrestle with. With the end in mind, what would you tell your family about who they are, how they should live, and what you want them to remember? Can you actually answer that and then live it out with intentionality? Now, my 
family is not perfect, but as a way of example of what this could look like. How we answer these questions and then build them in the practices of our life. First of all, it says, who are they? I want my kids to know who they are. So every night when we go to bed, we do the bedtime routine where they go to the bathroom, they brush their teeth, we read a book, they jump in bed, we pray. And then just before they go to sleep, every night I look at my girls and I say, I, an identity statement, and the girls will say, I am brave, I am strong, and I am beautiful, just the way I am. And they say it kind of like that with a little sass, and they love it. I'm brave, I'm strong, and I'm beautiful, just the way I am. We started that with our oldest when she was maybe three, but here's what's fascinating. We repeat that every night, and they're really young. I don't how much of this are they understanding. It's amazing to see how it's already leaking out in their lives a little bit. Shiloh's standing on the couch. Jump off, Shiloh, jump on the pillow. And she's like, I can't do it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Shiloh, she goes, I am brave. <laughs> Jumps off. And maybe if she misses and falls and hurts her knee, and she's like, oh, it hurts, it hurts. And then she goes, but daddy, I am strong. And I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly, but yes, yeah, that sounds good. Yes, you are strong. And with the girls, I started, and I am beautiful just the way that I am. Because as they get older and they see all of these curated social media things that are not reality and have all of these should as their appearance. Would you just know you're beautiful just the way you are? What if we could ingrain that from a young age? Now I have a son. I don't know if I should change that phrase as he gets older. We'll figure that out when he gets there. But it's who they are, identity-based. Or secondly, how do we want them to live? Uh, in the morning, either when I leave for work or when I drop them off at school. Right before we go, get a hug and a kiss, and I say, how do we live? And the girls will say, be kind, do your best, love like Jesus. Every day, be kind, do your best, love like Jesus. In a world where people are angry and judgmental and shut one another down, be kind. And do your best, because your identity should not be formed on your performance or your achievement or if you did it right. The question, is the, the only thing we can actually control is, did you do your best? Did you do your best? Be kind, do your best. And finally, love like Jesus. If our life is shaped after the pattern of Jesus who laid down his life for the good of others, are we loving other people in the same way that Jesus did? That's how we live. Or finally, what do you want them to remember? And I've struggled with this one throughout the years, but what we currently do in the moment is when we gather together for uh, family dinner, and it doesn't happen every night, but when we're together, uh, we put a candle in the middle of the table. And you know the delicious food of steaming hot mac and cheese and chicken nuggets and all the nutritional things of the world uh, laid before them and they're about to dig in. I say, wait, 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 wait. We're gonna light the candle. They all go, oh, they get all excited. And we put the candle and I, I light the flame on the lighter. goes, Pow. And then some interesting thing happens. First of all, Shala goes, fire, which is a little concerning, honestly. And then Dawson, who's only like a year old, little red-headed baby just sits in his chair and goes, hey, 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 <laughs> starts laughing. And I'm like, literally this week, the thought crossed my mind. I'm like, are you like more prone to be a uh, pyro because you're a little red-headed baby? I don't know if that's a thing. Why, why do you, anyway. And so I light the candle. And as I light it, I say, God is good. Some of you know this. And they say back, all the time. I say, all the time. And they say, God is good. Why do we do this? Why do I want them to remember this? I know there's a day probably coming in our family where things will not appear to be good, where it looks like God may not be there. But what if we had ingrained from day one, God is good all the time. Even now, all the time, God is good. What can we do as our families to ingrain this into their life? And honestly, 
feel like I could end the message here today and say, hey, uh, we're done with your family. Live lives of intentionality. Answer these questions. Make it change your life because Christianity is not just about what you believe but how you live. Go and do it. Yet then I started to think about this and I thought, well, most people that I've worked through this with before, when they go and sit down to develop this, honestly, they struggle a little bit because we have not sat with the larger questions of life. If I'm going to do this for my family, it, it actually makes me turn around and look at myself. What is it that I believe? What is it that I really value? Am I living with intentionality? So today, I just want to ask each one of you personally, what are you living for? Have you thought about life? Why are we here? Why do you do the nine to five? Why do we do the crazy, chaotic pace of life seven days a week? What is this all for? Have you asked the larger questions? What are you living for? To be healthy? To be wealthy? To be known? Successful? Accomplished? What if we could live with the end in mind? At the end, if what you really care about is faith and family, or even if you don't care about faith now, at the end, I guarantee you, you'll be asking those questions. Can we ponder the end and let that change how we live now? Because I would say what you live for with the end in mind will set the standard for how you interact with your family. And just as Paul wrote to the church and says, here's what I want you to know, here's who I want you to be, here's what I want you to have. I love at one point he also internally reflects on, so in intentionally, here's what I live for. In Philippians 3, he says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Even if we stopped right there, I love that. What is it that you want to know in life? I want to know Jesus. I want to know this God who has created me and designed me for relationship. I want to know him because I felt like there's always this sense in my life of searching, and if it's him that's created me, I want to know him. And then secondly, I want to experience this power that raised him from the dead. Well, what does that mean for us? There's the, the power that can radically transform our lives. Where we were once living this way, but then we go death to our sin and alive to Jesus. Now we are radically living different the way that God has designed us, the way, the person that he has called us to be. I want to experience that power. I want to see it in my life. What if we can answer that question the same way? I want to know Christ and experience the power that's raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. At the end of time, I will be with God's people and live with him forever. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it but here's where I put my focus, my intentionality on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I love this. I press on to reach the end with the end in mind of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I love this verse and I maybe want to end with it today. What do you live for? First of all, I would say this. A lot of the conversations with people I have that don't really go to church that often. Well, I believe in God, all right? How does that affect your life? Because if you're still living life and you're searching, man, I'm looking for the next experience. I'm looking for the next thing. I'm looking for the next pay bump because maybe then I will finally experience peace. Maybe then I'll have a joy that lasts more than just a moment. 
Maybe I'll find contentment in life and really just feel at peace with the world of all is right. Friends, if you are searching today, hear me on this. God has put that searching desire within you on purpose. For God has created you to know him, to live in loving relationship with him and with others in the world, bringing about beauty and justice and mercy and compassion in the world. It's what you've been created for. And so your soul will not find peace, will not find rest, until it finds its rest in God. Until you turn to him and say, you have created me, I want to know you. Not that I'm living perfect, Paul said, I haven't achieved this, but I'm pressing on, I'm focusing on this one thing. And I love this. Forgetting what's behind and look toward what's ahead. Because for some of you, when you look at your past, there's things that you are less than proud of things that you have done, things that you have said. And if you're very honest, you'd say, even if there is a God, I know he would not be happy about those things. I know that's not how God would want me to live. In the Christian sense, we call those things sin, missing the mark of how God has designed us to live, and those things cause separation between us and God. Yet God loves us so much. He doesn't just say, well, you messed up, well, now you have to just deal with it. You're forever apart from me. You'll never know me. Instead, God becomes man. He sends his son, Jesus, to live among us, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live. And then in his death on the cross, to take on the sin of the world of all time placed on him there, and then in his resurrection, give us new life too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, if your soul is searching, there's only one answer. You can run from it as long as you want, but in the end, you'll be forced to answer the question, God, do I know you? Do I love you? Here's what you find. In our culture today, oh, I believe in God. Do you realize there's so much more? And it's not just you're forgiven of your sins and you spend eternity within him in heaven. That is true. Do you realize God wants to share all of life with you? You would pray, you would walk with him. As you do, God's spirit comes to live within you and he is the one who gives you joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. God produces these things in you. When you come home to the one who has created you, he brings about life within you. Would you come home to him even today? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, today, as we think about our families, as we think about the relationships that are the most important to us, God, we look to you for your wisdom and say, teach us how to live. God, help us to be a people who live with intentionality, who don't just live to survive the next moment, survive the week, but God, that we would have a purpose and a community and a love that comes from you that we can live life to the fullest, life abundantly, and have a family who loves you and serves others. God, for those of us who, when we think of family, we think of those, uh, we think of the cracks, the brokenness or the messiness within our own family. God, we want to pause and pray for our family. Would you bring about a mending healing within our families? Would you bring about reconciliation where we thought that it was forever gone? Would you bring about people who come back to you and come back to family in loving and healthy and constructive ways?
God, we know you love our families maybe even more than we do, so we ask for you to bring this about. God, help us to be a church full of people who live intentionally. And we know if we're going to do that, we must first look internally. God, for every one of us, if we're following you now or we're not yet, help us to look at the end in mind and to live accordingly. And even if you're here today, you say, listen, I'm still not sure what I think about faith, but I have recognized the aching within my soul, searching for something more. Could you see today that that is God asking you to pursue him and find the relationship that you have been created for? Following the words of scripture, we believe that this happens in a moment. When you turn to God, you say, God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus has paid the price, and he does. And now make me new, forgetting what is behind and looking towards what is ahead. Give me new life. Maybe if that's you today, would you pray that? God, forgive me and give me new life. Show me how to live with you and your community. In just a moment, if that is you on the count of three, I actually want you to raise your hand. And all heads bowed and eyes will be closed. But I want you to have a physical symbol between you and God, an actual response to say, Jesus, today's the day. I'm coming home. I want to follow you. I don't know what all that means yet, and I know I'm not perfect. But I want to follow you. Create a new heart and a new life within me. If that's you today, on the count of three, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. God, forgive me. God, give me new life. Change me and transform me. Show me who I am created to be. Give me your purpose and love. God, we thank you for drawing people to yourself. We thank you for changing and transforming lives just as you have done with all of us in here. God, may you continue to play that forward and in and through all of our lives. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.